You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. If you got your Bibles, you got a smart device, I want to encourage you to turn with me or swipe with me to the New Testament, the book of Matthew. It's the very first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to land in uh, chapter 5 here momentarily. Today, we're in part 6 of a series called Hashtag Blessed, where we've been taking a look at the Beatitudes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that are found, uh, that's found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And each of the principles of these Beatitudes serve as keys that can unlock blessing and happiness in the life of the believer as they choose to further align themselves and their lives with the kingdom of God. And if you missed any of these previous messages, you can catch up by listening to our podcast on Spotify or by watching on our YouTube channel um, and catch up to where we are today. So as I said, we're going to land in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, here in just a moment. Uh, I don't know about you, but I can't remember the last time that I purchased a bar of soap, you know, Now, like, don't make it weird. I wash (laughs) with soap, but just not with, like, a bar of soap anymore. You know, all all the soap um, these days typically that I purchase comes in a squeeze bottle or it has, like, a trigger or a pump or or something on, on the container. But as a kid growing up, I can always remember my mom having bars of soap in the house. And it wasn't just any random soap either. Um, She didn't just buy whatever was on sale that week at the store. It had to be a very specific thing. It was a very specific brand. It was ivory. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Ivory soap. Um, There's something about ivory soap that allegedly, supposedly sets it apart from all of the other soap that is available on the market. And I can remember this particular thing as part of marketing campaigns for ivory soap when I was little. And it's even still the way that their soap is being marketed today on their website. Here's what the website says. The original ivory bar soap was developed in 1879 by Harley Proctor. It was developed with pure and purposeful ingredients. It was meant to be a staple in the home and mild enough to be used for the whole family. Ivory was pure, 99.44% pure to be exact. Now, as a kid, I never really thought much about that. I mean, I didn't really care you know, that ivory was 99.44% pure or whatever. But as I've gotten older, I have to admit, this marketing campaign has started to bother me a little bit. And here's why. I looked up the definition of pure in the dictionary, and it says clean, spotless, or unsullied, absolute, being that and nothing else. And so while ivory has used this 99.44% factoid as a positive marketing campaign for over a century now, I can't help but think about what might be in that other 0.56%. And that's just how my mind works. I know it's a little bit scary to like peel back the curtain to let you see what's going on in my head. But those are the things that when I'm laying in bed at night trying to fall asleep, that's what I think about. 
So my question is, how can something that is by its very definition impure claim to be pure? I call false advertising right here this morning at Christ Walk Church. Shame on you, Ivory Soap. Shame on you, Procter & Gamble. How dare you try to peddle your wares upon us in this capacity? But see here, the, the problem is much worse this morning than just soap. Because I think it's how a lot of us live our lives as believers. Like, we're mostly good. We obey most of the Bible's commands and directives. We, we love most people. We put Jesus first most of the time. We avoid most sinful activity. And, and can I be very honest? As I was reading and studying and preparing for today's message, that feeling in my gut began to grow bigger and bigger and bigger. You know the one that I'm talking about because I realized, hey, wait a minute, that's me. That's me. That's the tension that I feel. That, that's how I live my life. That's the struggle that I have, even as the pastor of a church, that like I'm pure most of the time. And so if you'll allow me for the next few minutes, I'm just going to have a conversation with myself that hopefully you all will be able to glean a little bit from. In fact, that's what the majority of my preaching is anyways. I'm just talking to me about things that God is dealing with me in my life, and you just get the benefit of hearing it on a weekly basis. This is kind of like a counseling session for me, really, every Sunday. And so he, here's why this is such a significant issue if you've turned there, swipe there, Matthew 5, 8, Jesus says this, part of the Beatitudes as the opening of his Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, when we read that, it's important to notice what's not there. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the 99.44% pure in heart. He doesn't say, blessed are the mostly pure in heart. No, the implication here is that the one who's able to receive this blessing is the one whose heart is completely, unequivocally, 100%, without a doubt, pure. Perhaps at this moment, you're thinking the question that I'm thinking is, well, what does a pure heart look like anyway? Like, if we're going to define it, if we're going to identify it, how do we know whether or not our hearts are pure. What's the, what's the target? What's the bar to attain to? And so there's, there's really two primary characteristics of a pure heart. And the first one of those is a pure heart is a sanctified heart. And sanctified means holy, consecrated, set apart, clean, sanitized. You get the picture. Sarah and I recently, we, we took a little anniversary trip. Um, and when we went to the hotel to check in, uh, there was a sticker um, on the crack of the door that was alerting us to the fact that our, our room had been cleaned and sanitized with our health in mind. In other words, this, this room is it's, it's set apart. It's, it's, it's safe to use. The Bible kind of perpetuates this idea in um, one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture, Psalm 24, uh, verses 3 and 4, David writes this. He says, Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols, and who never tell lies. In another place in the Psalms, in, in chapter 51, verses 7 and 10, David says, 
or, or he writes or sings, however you want to interpret it. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. We fast forward to the New Testament. Testament, And we see the the author of Hebrews writing in uh, chapter 12, verse 14. He says, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Implying what Jesus says here in Matthew 5, that those who are holy, those who are pure will see the Lord. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, he says, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. James 4 and 8, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Now, these are the, the ideals, the principles of scripture that we see over the entire arc. It's not limited to just one section towards one, one people. It's, it's across the board, and, and it's what God is speaking to us today. And the truth is, like when we talk about sanct- being sanctified or, or this word sanctification, that's probably not a word you're using like every day, like at the water cooler at work, you know? Um, it, it's, it's not a word that we're using outside of the church or, or like outside of a, a religious setting. But what we need to understand, if, if, if sanctification, if that word is, if it's a new thing to you, what, what you need to understand is, is that, that it, it's both immediate in the life of the believer at the time they accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. They put their faith in Jesus. And then it's ongoing as we continue to walk out and live our faith in Jesus Christ on an ongoing day-to-day basis. So it's something that happens immediately, but then it continues to happen, and it is renewed each and every day. But sanctification is a bit of a foreign concept to the world around us, because it works backward from the way that the world thinks. Sanctification begins on the inside and it works its way outside, but yet a lot of us, we remain consumed with our outward appearance. All the rules that we have to keep, we want to talk, talk right, walk right, think right, act right. We think that if, if we can just change our behavior, then we will be blessed, then we will be happy. And so what happens is, is we start to focus on the boundaries rather than focusing on the core or what's at the center of it all. And, and you know what, what happens? You know what the result of that is? We, we're exhausted. That's the result of that. Because the truth is, is that we can never and will never be able to keep up on our own. And so ultimately, what's taking place is that we've missed it all together because the the truth of it is, is that sin isn't out there trying to get in here. The truth is, is that sin is on the inside wanting to get out. Like, how many of you have ever gone out to the driveway or the garage one morning and and tried to start the car and it wouldn't start? Right? I, I, I can't help but wonder, who among us at that moment would change the wiper blades? Or, or who among us, having experienced that, would, would decide this is the time to give the car a nice wash and a wax? Or would it get out the armor all to make the tires all black and shiny again? 
Or who would, would add a new air freshener and hang some fuzzy dice from the rearview mirror in that moment? Only a lunatic would do those things, right? Because everybody knows that in that moment, the problem is under the hood, right? Who would possibly concentrate on the externals when the issue is internal? But you and I, we do this all the time. For example, a housewife battling with depression. She talks to one of her girlfriends. And the solution the girlfriend comes up with is, you just need a shopping spree. That'll make you feel better. Or a husband under the weight of guilt for his ongoing involvement in an extramarital affair. What does he do? He begins to hang out with other people that condone and and even encourage that sort of behavior so that the guilt melts away and he doesn't have to deal with it. Or a person plagued by insecurity, perhaps. The solution is just get a new haircut, a new wardrobe, a new car, a new house. Change your image and that'll fix everything. So time and time again, what happens is, is, is we treat the symptoms of the outside and we continue to ignore the root of the problem on the inside. And the result is, is that the depression and the guilt and the insecurity, they go away, but only temporarily. And when they return, it's always so much worse than it was before. But the person with a pure heart, the person with a clean heart, the person whose heart is sanctified is the one who isn't just satisfied to treat the symptoms of what's going on in their life, but who pulls back the curtain of their heart and lets God deal with it all. They're the person whose public life and private life are exactly the same. It's, it's being fully authentic, which is another one of our core values here. There's, there's no hiding. There's no pretense. That is the person who's going to be blessed because that person is able to stand in the presence of God. So for starters, the, the, the primary, one of the primary characteristics of, of a pure heart is, is that it's sanctified. The, the second one is this. Is it's, it's a single heart. One of the primary characteristics of, of a pure heart is, is a single heart. And, and single simply means undivided or, or one or, or single in purpose. And don't hear what I'm not saying. Single here doesn't mean that if you're married, you're just out of luck here. It's not what we're talking about. But rather single in terms of a single heart is fixed on one thing. It's, it's a heart of unwavering devotion. It isn't watered down. Perhaps a more common term that we would use in our regular communication would be wholehearted. How many of you have heard that word before? We, we say that all the time. We, we do something wholeheartedly. It's, it's the idea that comes to us in uh, the Old Testament in Exodus 20 verse 3. This says, you must not have any other God but me. It's the same idea that is perpetuated in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Psalm 119, 2. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. Jeremiah 29, 13. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. In ancient times... A common household item was the earthenware vessel, uh, earthenware pots. If, if you've worked with clay before, no doubt you've had an experience that sometimes there can be imperfections in the clay, causing it to develop small cracks once it is fired in the kiln. And in ancient Rome, 
Dishonest sellers of earthenware goods would fill in these cracks with wax and then paint over them. And so to the naked eye of the consumer, the vessel looked to be whole and complete. But once the pot was either left out in the sun or used over the fire for cooking purposes, the wax would melt, revealing the imperfection, and the purchaser would realize that he had been ripped off. And so to combat this type of fraud, the Roman government would send inspectors into the cookware shops to sample the goods and determine whether or not they were flawed. And those found to be without defect were stamped with an official seal, which in Latin read sine sera, meaning without wax. And many believe this is where we get our word sincere, which means not hypocritical, honest, marked by genuineness and authenticity. And you won't be surprised to find out that a synonym of sincere is wholehearted. This is precisely what Jesus is talking about in our verse today. The sincere heart is one that is undivided. It's one that is unblemished. It's one that is genuine and authentic. It's whole, it's complete, it's holy. It is single, it is without wax. See, one of the reasons there are so many in the church today that aren't experiencing a life that is marked by blessing and happiness is because they simply aren't wholehearted in their devotion toward the Lord. There are a lot of people in the church today that they've they've got religion, but there's very few who have a relationship. So what happens is, is, is there's a lot of people that have just enough religion to be miserable, right? They're just separate enough from the world so that the pleasures of the world don't or can't satisfy them. And when they engage with others who pursue those kinds of pleasures, they know that God is displeased. And when they pursue those pleasures for themselves, the end result is then guilt. And at the same time, they don't have a close or undivided relationship with Jesus. So while they aren't entirely comfortable out in the world, they also aren't entirely comfortable in the presence of God either. So they're caught somewhere in the middle, somewhere in between, being pulled back and forth. And so engaging in the world's activities leads them feeling convicted. But surrounding themselves by other believers in the presence of the Lord leads them feeling condemned. And so their guilt makes them miserable regardless of their setting or situation. But one of the best things about those who have a pure heart is that they realize that that they're not defined by the things of their past. See, the truth is this morning that every single one of us in here, every single one of us watching online this morning, we all have regrets in some capacity. We've all done things, maybe even this morning on the way to church, that we wish we could go back and change. We wish we could fix it. We wish that we could do it differently. And that gives us the tendency to feel guilty. And and what happens is is we end up carrying that or, or perhaps even dragging around that guilt like a big, heavy suitcase. We talked about this earlier this year in our series called Baggage Claim. We're forever looking over our shoulder, wondering when our guilt is finally going to catch up and get the better of us. And and if it isn't handled properly, the guilt of our past can end up destroying our confidence in who we are and whose we are and how we operate in the present looking forward to the future. I once read a story about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, He's the author of the famed and beloved Sherlock Holmes mystery series. 
Word has it that Doyle was quite the prankster. And one day he decided to play a prank on five of the most prominent men in all of England. He sent an anonymous note to each of the five that simply said, all is found out, flee at once. And within 24 hours, all five men had left the country. See, this is the power of guilt. Not only does it destroy our confidence, but it also damages our relationships. What happens is, is we end up responding to those around us in harmful ways. We'll, we'll overreact or we'll, we'll explode or we'll tolerate things that we shouldn't or we'll avoid commitment or won't let people get close to us all because of our guilt. And guilt like this can keep us stuck in the past. It's like driving a car by only looking in the rearview mirror. Now, a rearview mirror is helpful because it gives us perspective. Looking at our past gives us perspective, but if that's all that we ever look at, we'll never be able to engage with the present or move forward to the future that God has in store for us. And there's a reason that the rearview mirror is so much smaller than the windshield. Because if we focus on the rear view while trying to make forward progress, you know what's going to happen. You're going to crash. You're going to run into something. And the truth here this morning is that Jesus didn't give his life on the cross so that you and I could continue to live beneath the weight of our guilt. He didn't give his life on the cross so we could continue to look in the rearview mirror. He gave his life on the cross so that we could focus on the windshield and where we're going because of the work that he's done on our behalf and the things that we have to look forward to because of him. Now, six weeks into the series, perhaps you're starting to, to notice a pattern or a theme that is found in each of these Beatitudes. And ultimately, what the Lord is saying here this morning, here in this message and, and, and in this series as a whole that, that keeps coming up is simply this, like, it's time to get off the fence. That's what he's saying. He's, he's talking about the people who they've decided how they're going to live. They've decided how they're going to be and who they're going to be. So what Jesus is saying in each one of these Beatitudes and, and what he's telling us this morning, what he's challenging us with today, is that it's, it's time for us to choose a side. See, we, we simply have to stop putting on our church face in the company of believers and then putting on our world face in the company of unbelievers. We, we can't continue to waver back and forth. We can't continue to, to be caught in that tug of war. We got to decide who we're going to be. So if God is God, then let's start serving him. But if he isn't, then let's stop, right? Like it, it's, it's not just enough to pay lip service because Jesus desires and even demands our whole heart. He, he doesn't want just part of us. It's not enough for him. He wants the whole enchilada. And if you really want to experience blessing, then you need to get your heart right with God. If you really want to know true happiness, you need to confess your sins to Jesus. You need to ask him to grant you the forgiveness that he offers so freely. You need to repent and turn away from that sin and move in the other direction. You need to stop living in accordance with your wants and start living in accordance with his will. You need to exchange your life of limitation for his life of abundance. 
And when you make the choice to do that, you'll, you'll be able to, to fully realize and experience what Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians 5.17 when he says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. That's the invitation that Jesus is offering to you and to me today. And the blessing that comes along with this new life is that we'll be able to see God. So you need to understand this morning that that sitting on the board of the largest charity organization in the community is not going to grant you access into his presence. Being a member of your local church is not going to get you access into his presence. Working hard and providing for your family is not going to allow you to gain access to his presence. Going to church every Sunday, serving on a team, sacrificially giving of your time, talent, treasure, and testimony, all of those things, they're great things, but guess what? They're never going to gain you access into his presence. Because Jesus says that only the pure in heart will see God. Only those that are single in their pursuit of him will be the ones that gain access. Only those whose hearts are free of selfishness will see him. Only those whose heart is uncompromised towards the things of this world are going to be the ones that will see him, that will climb his mountain, that will stand in his presence. And this is the key to blessing and happiness. See, somebody in here this morning, you need to, you need to hear this. God's primary concern is not how many rules you either kept or broke last week. His primary concern is whether or not you're continually submitting your will to his. It's whether or not you choose to bow your knee to his lordship over your life. It's the same choice that the prophet Elijah presented to the people of Israel on Mount Carmel. If Baal is God, then follow him. But if God is God, then follow him. If this world and all of its pleasures are the way to go, then stop coming to church and get on with doing whatever it is you want to do. Live how you want to live. But if God is your choice, then back it up with your behavior. Go all in. Be wholehearted in your pursuit of him. So this leads us to a second question. When we first ask, what are the characteristics of this pure heart? The second question would be, if if a pure heart is one that is both sanctified and single, then how do we gain and maintain it? So there's three ways that we do that. If you're taking notes, maybe you want to write these down. Three ways that we gain and maintain a pure heart. The first one of those is that first, we've got to wise up. We have to wise up. We need to understand that faith has little to do with our intellect everything to do with our instinct. I recently read a a story about an experiment conducted by a man known as Dr. Maurice on the South African weaver bird. I'm sure you were probably reading this this morning. (laughs) This bird makes its nest out of reeds. It weaves the reeds together, and then it lines it with silky grass. And then this bird does something that is unique to this one species of bird. It makes a hole in the bottom of the nest to use as an entrance and an exit. And so in this experiment, Dr. Maurice took two eggs from a nest in South Africa, and he transported them outside the country. He incubated them and hatched them and then successfully raised five generations of the South African weaver bird in 
cages. And while in their cages over these five generations, none of the birds had ever seen a nest of reeds with silky grass lining and a hole in the bottom. This fifth generation of birds, Dr. Maurice, took back to South Africa and released them into the wild, back into their natural habitat. And I bet by now you can guess what they did. They made a nest of reeds, they lined it with silky grass, and they put a hole in the bottom to use as an entrance and an exit. That's not intellect. It wasn't learned behavior. That was instinct. That's part of how God created that particular animal. Instinct is the reason that, that, that fish and birds will migrate sometimes thousands of miles over the course of the year. In the same way that God placed it within the heart and the mind of the salmon to return to its spawning ground, God has placed within the heart and mind of each of us the desire to worship. We have the instinct for faith woven into the very fiber of our DNA. Yet some would try to convince us that belief in God is abnormal and a sign of mental illness. But I believe the opposite's true. I believe that faith is actually a sign of health and that skepticism is a mark of illness. I believe that unbelief isn't what's normal, but belief is. And when you and I, when we choose to wise up, we discover a key truth. And the key truth is that we are all going to worship. Each one of us this morning, we're worshiping something today. We, we may not call it that, but we all have a God in our life. Every single one of us has something that we bow our knee to. But there's only one object of worship today that will bring about true blessing and happiness. And that is the worship of the one true God achieved only through relationship with Jesus Christ, his one and only son. And the only worship that can truly be satisfying is that which flows from a heart that is pure and clean and undivided. So first, if we're going to gain and maintain this pure heart, we first have to wise up. Number two, we have to also clean up. We have to clean up. Now, it's important for you to know that you don't have to clean up before coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. To many of us, we've bought into that lie from the enemy for years. The, the most pharisaical believers among us have, have even perpetuated that lie within the body of the church. The truth is that the church is not a place for the spiritual elite. It's not some biblical country club. It's a hospital for the spiritually sick and destitute. And there's nothing that you or I, that any of us can do to clean ourselves up spiritually. Every single one of us, even, perhaps even especially the pastor, is in need of the forgiveness and the saving grace of Jesus Christ. But Paul is clear in Romans 6. We, we should not continue in our sin so that grace may abound. There, there comes a time when there's a tipping point, and that's where a lot of us miss the mark. We get so caught up with these concepts of, of inclusiveness and, and tolerance that we fail to realize that the God we serve demands purity from us. We see this through, throughout both the Old and the New Testament. Words like holiness, 
sanctification, cleansing, come up time and time and time again. And these words describe the way that God intends his people to live. The call of God for each of us is to be pure. God's plan for your life and for my life, simply put, is purity. The call for the cohabitating couple isn't marriage. It's purity. The call to the homosexual or the, the homosexual isn't heterosexuality. It's, it's purity. The call to the adulterer isn't monogamy. It's a call to purity. If you and I, if we want to experience God's blessing in our life, then first and foremost, we must live a lifestyle of purity. So what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 11. He says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so there are multiple ways that the Bible teaches by which we can clean up our spiritual lives. And the first one of these, perhaps the most familiar of these, is, is the blood of Jesus. This takes place when one places their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says it this way, So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The problem here this morning is, is not that most of us need to be born again. While perhaps not everyone here in the room today, or everyone watching with us online, maybe all of those people haven't made a decision to repent of their sin and to be born again by placing their, their faith and their hope and their trust in, in Jesus Christ the Savior. But a lot of us probably have. The majority of us probably have. And so the problem then is despite that fact, there, there are still attitudes that remain within us that aren't always pleasing to God. We still have desires within us that, that want what we want instead of wanting what he wants. We still have the residue of sin in our life that wants to creep back in and, and dirty things up. So we have to constantly plunge that stuff beneath the scrubbing blood of Jesus Christ so that we can become clean again. The blood of Jesus is one of the ways that we clean up. Another way is by reading and obeying the word of God. This is how we keep our sinful attitudes and desires at bay. As we spend time in his word, we come to discover the will and mind of God for our lives. You want to know God, God's plan for you? It's in the Bible. You want to know what God thinks about you? It's in the Bible. You want to know how God wants you to think, how he wants you to, to experience and engage with and interpret the world around you? It's in the Bible. And it's obedience to God's word that will result in us thinking right. It will result in us feeling right. It will result in us acting right. It's what David wrote about in Psalm 119.11. He says, I, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
It's, it's what we read about in James chapter 1, verse 25 in the New Testament. It says, but if you look carefully into the perfect law, God's word, that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. See, here's what happens is as we read the word, the word reads us. As we get into the scripture, what happens is the scripture gets into us and it begins to change us from the inside out. It begins to reveal the intentions and the motives of our heart. And as we're obedient to its guidelines and its principles, its commands, it it begins to serve as a cleansing agent so that we can become more and more pure as we continue to walk out our faith in Christ. Another way that we're cleansed is, is by practicing forgiveness. This is everyone's favorite. C.S. Lewis said, we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. But if you're struggling today, maybe you just need to forgive somebody. Like consider the hidden hurt from your past that you've been holding on to and, and, and pray a prayer of forgiveness toward that person and set them free from the pain that they've caused you. Think of the person whom you're jealous of and say a prayer for their continued prosperity. Or bring to mind maybe someone that you've hurt, that you've cheated. Maybe someone that you've insulted or snubbed or criticized along the way. Give them a call, shoot them a text, invite them to a meal. Your treat. Confess to them what you've done and ask them to forgive you. This happened to me not too long ago. I was out at a restaurant for lunch. I, was, I had my earbuds in. I was minding my own business. I was just eating a meal and listening to a podcast, and I uh, saw a shadow, like, you know, you can tell, like, when someone's coming up, and I looked up, and they're standing before me with somebody that I don't really like that much. (laughs) Several years ago, they were very mean to me. They said some things. They did some things. It was hurtful. I've since forgiven them, and I was thinking, great, now I'm going to have to talk to this person. So I pulled out my earbud. I didn't even pause the podcast. Like, that's how engaged I was in this conversation. And this person began to say, you know what? A few years ago, I treated you really bad. I said some things. I did some things. I know they were hurtful. I just wanted you to know that I was in a really bad place then. But I've gotten some help with that. God's doing a work in my life. And so I just wanted you. And I was like, I paused the podcast at that point. I took out the other earbud. We talked for a second. It was a great healing moment. I'm not best friends with this person. We're not like skipping, holding hands to the clover, tra-la-la-la-la. But the Lord allowed that moment for some other healing to take place. He can do that for you too if you will step out and do that for somebody. It was an incredible thing. Maybe you're thinking like, do I really have to do this stuff? Well, no. But unless you want a pure heart, then you might have to. Another way that we experience the cleansing of our heart is, is, is through trials. Through trials. We tend to look at our trials as, as situations to be conquered and overcome. And At best, we see them as hindrances. At worst, we see them as attacks from the devil. And our tendency is to simply get through them as quickly and as effortlessly as possible. But trials can have a refining effect in our lives. Just like gold is heated to the point where the impurities rise to the surface so that they can be skimmed off. As we become complacent in our walk with the Lord, he, he may turn up the fire a little bit 
He may cause us to walk through some things. And and as the fire increases, what we're going to see is that things are going to begin to rise to the surface that, that we may not have even realized were there to begin with. We might see jealousy come to the surface or, or greed or maybe hatred or impatience or fill in the blank with whatever those things could be. But yet, had we not experienced the heat of the furnace, those things would have likely remained unseen. James writes about it this way in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you're experiencing the heat of a trial today, let me encourage you, don't run from it. Lean into it. Embrace it. Learn from it. No matter the intensity of the heat, you and I, we have this promise of Isaiah 43.2. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. We have the promise of Job 23 and 10, but he knows where I'm going, and when he tests me, I will come out as pure gold. If we want to have this clear heart, this pure heart, we need to wise up, we need to clean up. Number three, and finally, we need to take up. We need to take up. Take up the call of God on your life. Do something great for him. Be productive. See, Christ didn't save us so that we could sit around on our duff and wait for the rapture to happen. There's a lot of people in the church. There's a lot of saved people in the church that spend all of their time polishing their halo and practicing flying with their wings, and that is not what it's about. We've been saved for a purpose to be involved in the work of building the kingdom of God, to be passionate and active in our pursuit of the heart of God, to produce disciples. And the truth is, is that we produce more of what we already are. When Sarah and I got together, we didn't produce puppies. We had human children because we are humans. So we produce what we already are. If you're not producing disciples it might be time to take a hard look in the mirror because you produce what you already are. See, Jesus didn't have to, but for some reason, the Lord decided to use his disciples, you and me, to carry out and complete his work in the world. I love what Annie Johnston Flint wrote when she said, Christ has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men on the way. He has no tongues but our tongues to tell men how he died. He has no help but our help to draw men to his side. The expectation on our life from our heavenly father is that we would be productive for his kingdom. He expects that we would live for the praise of his glory. He expects that we would shine like the city that is on top of a hill. He expects that our good works would be evident for all to see. Not so that we could say, look at us, but so that people would see and then glorify their father in heaven. This is what we talk about every single week. This is what it means to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. It's living this kind of lifestyle. So if you want to have a life-changing experience with God, if you want to wield an effective faith as a weapon against your enemy, 
If you want to experience the happiness and blessing that comes from living with a pure heart, then ask God to take your life and heal its hidden hurts. Ask him to forgive you of, our sin, of your sins. And then ask him to use you to do something incredible for his kingdom. When you and I choose to live this way, holy, undivided, in pursuit of a pure heart, Jesus says that we will be blessed because we will see God. The psalmist describes that blessing like this. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. You show me someone that has a right relationship with God, I'll show you someone who's blessed and who's happy. It's a guarantee every single time. Right there out of the mouth of Jesus. Confirmed by the Psalms. And this promise is yours and it's mine. It's there for the taking today. And it's the result of a choice to live in pursuit of a pure heart. Because a pure heart is a leading characteristic in the life of those who live in alignment with the kingdom of God. And today, your first step toward a pure heart is to enter into a right relationship with God by believing on his son Jesus as Lord and Savior. In this room, watching with us online, if you've never done that before, I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. We bow our heads. We pray together. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. Today, I choose to follow Jesus in his way for the rest of my life. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.